What's up, everybody? This is Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pacers Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pacers on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pacers Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers. Coming off the heels of a loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, it was on 3 a.m. Australian time. So, excuse me, I haven't seen the entire game, just the condensed version. Alex, did you uh, pull an all-nighter and watch this one? Uh, sadly, I did, mate. It wasn't worth it, though. So, you know, it's just more pain, isn't it? More yeah. pain for me, mate. Yeah, it's uh, it's the same story. It seems like... Uh, do, is there any way to stop Clint Capella on the roll? Um, not when Trey Young is the ball handler because every time he would call for the screen, he would just be either wide open for a jump shot. He would be able to pull back for a three or just lob it up to, to Clint who, what do they have to say? Like 23 and 23 or something crazy like that. I mean, their whole team was just unbelievable today. So yeah, it was one of those nights where the Pacers couldn't get a stop again, even with miles back in the team, we couldn't get a stop. So, you know, our, our defense just continues to show it's got too many holes. Yeah, disappointing and disappointing in, for the Pacers for more reasons than one. We'll, we'll get to the, the play on the court shortly. But Justin, off the top of the episode, we want to express verbally what we did via Twitter, which was that uh, Slick Leonard passed away and he was obviously a giant of the Pacers organization. Just an incredible uh, influence on the team, the savior of the team. Um, Justin, I know that you met Slick, had the opportunity to sit with him and, and have a chat with him a few years ago. And, you know, we lost we lost arguably the, the greatest Pacers person in the history of the franchise this week. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, very sad to see the news. Obviously, we all knew he wasn't well for quite some time. Um, but he, he really helped me become a Pacer fan. And, you know, listening to him and Mark Boyle, you know, the boom baby used to love listening to him on the radio with, um, with that call when someone would hit a three pointer and yeah, I, I did get the chance to meet him. I met him in New York before a game and, um, he let me sit in the radio booth and we were talking and I think I mentioned on the podcast last year or something that, you know, he said Larry Bird had told him to scout Tim Hardaway for the team and, um, let Larry know what he thought of him and pretty crazy the night I was at MSG and met him he actually had a heart attack after the game um and he was rushed to hospital yeah it was that night I actually met him and um I remember being on my phone saying he's got a heart attack and he might pass away and I was actually hit me really hard so um yeah you know condolences to his family and um what a pace of legend as Reggie Miller mentioned on the broadcast on TNT he's the single most important person in Indiana Pacers franchise history. So, um, yeah, rest in peace. Yeah, and condolences to Mark Boyle as well, as I expressed on Twitter. They had a very special bond. Uh, I know over, you know, decades uh, broadcasting together, they obviously had uh, amazing chemistry. And I know that Mark looked at Slick as, as a real mentor, a friend, and, and you know, as close as a family member. So, hit him very hard in a really touching tribute pre-game uh, the day that it was announced. So uh, a sad, sad week for the Pacers. Um, as we turn to the on-court production, I mean, been a mixed week in terms of uh, wins and losses. Uh, Sabonis and Brogdon obviously have, uh, are now sort of back and, and fully in the lineup. Uh, Turner coming back today. But um, I, I think we discussed last time the lack of D. Uh, and Alex, it seems like we're, you know, we're giving up over 110 points in each of our last uh, seven games, eight games, 
nine, uh, nine games. I'm going back 10 games, 10 games of over Jeez. 110 points. Um, can you remember a stretch where the Pacers have given up that many points over basically the course of two weeks? No, that's actually insane. I did not realize we'd been that bad for that long because, you know, when, when we think about Pacers basketball, even if we struggled offensively these last few years, we've always been elite defensively. Yeah? We've always been a top 10 defense. That's been what's kept us in games. But this year it's the opposite, isn't it? And I will say that that's the Dan Burke effect. I remember I talked about it in the offseason when we lost him that that was going to be massive for the Pacers. I mean, this guy literally was your defensive guru for you know, two decades or whatever it was, and now he's gone. And you're seeing the the impact that that's had on this team. You know, again, like you said, 120 points. That's unfathomable for Pacers basketball. I don't think I've ever seen that. I don't know about you guys, but, yeah, it's something that I don't know how they fix it either. I really don't have any answers because, you know, we thought at the start of the season there would be struggles with a new coach, you know, some players out. But now there's not really any excuses, and it doesn't seem to be getting any better, does it? Yeah, it's the 19th of April and and the lowest point total that we've given up, uh, aside from that heat game right at the start of the month, um, was 106 points to the Magic. Other than that, it's been, you know, well above. And I think there have been, I think, at least three games, if not four, that we've given up 129 to 100 or over 130 points. I mean, Justin, this... The team's hallmark was D for the longest time. All the ga- all the teams that made the Eastern Conference Finals against the Heat, they were the best defensive teams in the league. Even as recently as the last couple of years, at least we had defense to fall back on. And I, look, I know that there'd be a lot of people out there that would be happy that the Pacers are scoring a lot more, that they're scoring 110, 120, 130 points on a nightly basis they we've we've been and funnily enough we've been calling for the team to speed it up and get more possessions in a game but i think the way that we're losing at the moment seems to point to the fact that we haven't got the balance right yet yeah completely i remember in the you know heydays when paces were contending for these conference finals Everyone was complaining, oh, this team you know, can't put enough up points, you know, when only score 90 a game. But um, I will say the NBA has changed from then. We all know that. Uh, it's so much more up and, you know, up, down, three-pointers, you know. Adam, I know you watched Steph Curry versus Boston yesterday. Like, the NBA has just changed. Like, he, he's hit 10 threes in about six games in a row. It's it's just different. If you, if you can't shoot, you're not going to win. Uh, good offense beats good defense these days. Um, but yeah, obviously the Pacers don't have enough good defense. Um, it's just disappointing. Like you, you look at the top four in the East now, um, Philly, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and I'm going to add Atlanta now because they're fourth. And I hate to say, I hate to be a Debbie Downer. I actually think we get swept against all, all four of those teams in the playoffs. Atlanta have always been our bogey team. We never win in Atlanta. I think Nate McMillan knows our players that well. He'd, he'd coach the Hawks to maybe a 4-1 victory. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, I, I think the Pacers will get swept in all four of those series. There's an argument to be made that we'd go close against Boston as well. I think, you know, with the way yeah. that Jason Tatum is playing, and you mentioned that game yesterday, you know, you have these elite one-on-one players on these teams where you can give it to a guy and he will get you a bucket time after time after time. And he's scored, and, you know, they're scoring... 25 to 30 points a night every night consistently they barely have a down game and the Pacers don't have that guy um, no. and 
you know, with with as good as Sabonis is inside, um, he's not an elite scorer to that level. And at the moment, that's I think that position, not because we have Sabonis, because I know he's he's suffered a lot of bashing, you know, the last couple of weeks. There's there's a growing sentiment online, you know, about trading him. We've been pretty open with our thoughts on that, but I mean, he's doing the best that he can and everything he can. He's still a walking double-double. Let's let's not discount his value to this team. But we don't have that elite wing slash guard. Even, you know, Joel Embiid's obviously a unicorn in terms of a center that can do the same thing. You give him the ball, he will get you a bucket. Doesn't matter. So, Alex, we, we don't have that guy. We haven't had that guy oh, since Reggie, um, really. Like, probably with the exception of Jermaine O'Neal. I think he was the last guy that you could actually just throw the ball to and know that you were more often than not going to get a bucket. Um, yeah, and I think that's what they're relying on Karras to do a lot. You know, you, you give him the ball and just try to get him to ISO something. But again, when, you, when you're asking a guy who's coming off, you know, losing his entire kidney to do that in a new system, that's a lot to ask, right? And then I think... With no spacing. Exactly, no spacing as well. And then, and then you look at a guy like Brogdon, who's uh, who was really good last year in the clutch without Oladipo, but he has taken a step back this year. I think in that uh, in that form, and I can't you you know I can't put it all on Brogdon, but he's the leader of this team. He's the point guard. If he wants to take those shots in the clutch, he has to make them. So, you know that him, he's the guy that has to step up. You know, Justin Holiday's really struggled. I'm not talking about a go-to guy here, but I'm talking about guys that need to make shots because. When we talk about a, a guy who can go and get a bucket, we also need to talk about, you know, someone who can make plays for other people. And the Pacers don't really have that down the stretch either, do they? So, you know, uh, uh, we laughed about it last episode. TJ McConnell's been our go-to scorer in the fourth oh. quarter. And uh, that shows you how much we struggle with that. And look, I mean, I think it's it's very easy to dismiss TJ McConnell's, um, you know, production and his his worth to the NBA overall and say that he's, you know, a six-man or a bench player because of his stature um, and, you know, his resume. But he's playing like a starter in this league right now. If you just, in isolation, if you look at his production, he's playing like a guy that could start a game for, you know, the Lakers, for example, at point guard. I mean... There, there's nothing like he could start for the Bucks at point guard um, beside Drew Holiday. I, I feel like he's he's playing well enough to be considered as a top two or three guard in the best teams in the league. Um, but I mean, what's I just don't understand what's happened to the past first Brogdon that we saw when we first signed Brogdon. I mean, if you recall the first couple of months when Oladipo was out. Brogdon and Sabonis started this pick and roll that was completely unstoppable for the first couple of months, Justin. And, you know, Brogdon was putting up near 30 points and double digit assists fairly consistently in that first couple of months. And he suffered through some injuries and he hasn't really regained his, you know, consistency in that space since every now and again, we see, you know, 25 and 11 or 27 and 11 from him, but it's not as consistent and it's not particularly with, with, um, with the assist totals. So, you know, I just I don't understand what's happened in terms of the the ability to have a distributor because I, I thought that's who Brogdon was. Yeah, and it, it's hard to pinpoint. And this this team's really kind of doing my head in um, because they're difficult to that's watch. And if I've ever heard one, 
Yeah. Um, I mean, they're difficult to watch, as we know. And, yeah, Brogdon, he's played well. Like, he did really well against, what, Minnesota the other day. He scored 30-plus and dropped some dimes. But there's no there's no spark. There's no energy. And, you know, for any of our Australian listeners, probably like Geelong Cats now, Adam. Like, yeah, they might win a few games, but there's no there's no energy. There's They just don't look good. Even when the Indiana Pacers win, they don't look good. They're, they're not the team they once were and it's, they're not really that enjoyable to watch. You know, the fans have said TJ McConnell has been our, our MVP. You shouldn't be having that for your backup point guard. Um, like we've said, kudos to him, but um, the starters have just not played well. They haven't been consistent. Um, you know, do, do we think come playing tournament, let's look at a positive note. Do we think they could all get it together and make a run and, um, you know, upset in the first round. Does anyone anyone give us a chance, you know, winning a first-round series? Yeah, I really wish I did give us a chance to upset a first-round series. I can see us making the playoffs. I can see us winning through in the playing tournament. But when, just as you talk about, you know, Philly, how do we guard Embiid and how do we guard Simmons? I mean, we don't have the ability to guard either of those guys with the personnel that we have on the floor right now. Um, it's going to take a really huge effort for the team to be able to throw a defensive sh- scheme at, at Philly that's going to actually result in stopping or slowing down Embiid or Simmons. Milwaukee, the same with Giannis. We have no one to guard Giannis at all. Um, you know, Atlanta, I guess, we, we match up with them slightly better, particularly if they play Capella and Collins versus Turner and Sabonis. At least we're playing a team with two bigs, so... There's, there's the ability for us to potentially guard that team. Um, and Brooklyn, I mean, who are we throwing at Kevin Durant? Who are we throwing at James Harden defensively? Um, I don't think we have the stoppers that we need to be able to stop the stars. And when the playoffs come around, Alex, it's, it's star time. All stars make their money in the playoffs. 100%, man. We see it every single year, don't we? I mean... And, and as you were touching on there, it's just matchup nightmare everywhere you look for the paces. I mean, yeah. even the Hawks, we don't have anyone that can stop Trey Young. You saw what he did today. I mean, he had a light 30 and 11. He made it look easy. So, you know, everywhere you look, every team, even the Celtics, as we were mentioning earlier, like they have Tatum, right? Every team has a guy that could easily drop 30, 35, even 40 on any given night. And the paces, as you said, can't stop that. And they also don't have someone to match that. So, you know, I look at the top six, even seven teams in the East, if you look at Miami as well, um, you know, Jimmy's a wing. Wings have killed us all year long. If they get Oladipo back, uh, that's going to be a tough team to beat as well. So, you know, I look at all those teams in the East and uh, like, I'm like you guys, I can't see us upsetting one of those. But yeah, I could see us winning a play-in a playing game and a play-in tournament. So, you know, there's a silver lining there, I guess, for some Pacers fans. The advantage of the yeah, playing I, game is that it's only one victory, Justin. So, you know, you, you've just got to win that yeah. first, that 9-10 game. If you're 9-10 or if you're 7-8, you've just got to win that one game to get through. So um, there's a better chance of victory. I don't even know how I feel watching that playing game because if if we know, oh, if the Pacers win, we play Brooklyn. Like, <laughs> it's it's going to be hard to root for a win. Oh, come on. Like, I really want to face Brooklyn. Like, back in the old day, I remember Pacers played Chicago. We were 8 seed versus the first seed. I think I've mentioned this before. 
I think we lost 4-1 or got swept, but that was so good to watch. Game one, we took it up to him. Granger, um, Paul George in his rookie year, you know, blocked Derek Rose on a shot. That was so exciting. Uh, I didn't care they got swept because they took it up to him nearly every game. They just couldn't get over the hump. But you saw the future was there with Hibbert, with Paul George, with with Granger. And then, you know, that showed in a few years later. This year, if we come eight seed in versus Brooklyn, even if we get swept, to me, there's not that exciting future going, oh, maybe in a few years we can contend for an Eastern Conference Championship. Um, I think this team has a lot of flaws. Um, I think it's harsh, but I think you've got to say Nate Bjorkren's had a very tough year. Um, I think we there was a honeymoon period at the start, I think, where, you know, it was all new and exciting. But I think if you had to grade his first year as coach, you'd, you'd have to give it a fail. Um, you know, this industry is quick to move on coaches. And I'm not saying we move on from Nate at all, but you don't get much time. You know, if he has another bad year next year, then questions have to be asked. And I have to put that on the table because he's had a very tough year. Yeah, I think the the thing that I'll preface this with is that the line in, in all of sports is always that people are too quick to blame the coach. I'd say on this podcast, we've kind of been the opposite. We've given Nate yeah. a lot of rope this year and we've, you know, we've talked about Brogdon's deficiencies. We've talked about Sabonis' deficiencies, Turner's deficiencies, the injuries we've had in the lineup. We've talked about the guys on the court plenty, but we haven't really spoken about the coaching a lot. And aside from saying that we're giving up too many points. And to me, I mean, defense is effort and, you know, and a defensive scheme. And and you hit the nail on the head before Alex, when you said that Dan Burke was the biggest loss that this team's had, because we had a guy who was with us for, you know, many, many years. And for every year that he was with us, we were a top defensive team. He's gone to Philadelphia and guess what's happened to Philadelphia? They're a top defensive team. So I think you can put accountability on the coaches. You can put accountability on the front office for, you know, they've prioritized offense. I get that in, in terms of a coaching scheme, but Alex, it, it kind of, it, it, we're certainly expecting a lot better than what we've seen. We're expecting probably a lot more exciting play, a lot, uh, a lot of silver linings, and there don't appear to be that many silver linings, probably because this team and this roster is at a stage where it's not developing anymore. This is the year that you should be realizing that development. This is the year that you should be actually achieving your potential, and it appears like we're doing anything but. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I do feel bad for Nate because I'm sure, you know, coming into the season, he probably had a lot of schemes set up for Oladipo, TJ Warren, and, you know, that that starting line. So I do feel bad for him in that sense. But yeah, as Justin said, you know, this is a, a tough business and you have to make those adjustments if you want to be an NBA coach. So he has really struggled this year. I think we saw today that rotations have probably been his biggest weakness. I think, you know, the the solo... Miles' minutes were really good today. The solo Domas' minutes were okay, but together they were terrible. So why does he put them together for the last three minutes of the game when we're trying to make a run? It's it's things like that that, that frustrate fans, I think. And obviously he's a rookie head coach, so you know it's it's tough to criticize everything he does. But yeah, I think the the rotations have probably been his biggest weakness so far. On the rotations, Justin, I want to ask you this, though, because, Alex, you raised a really good point there about playing both bigs at the end of the game. The counter to that, though, is that if you take one of those bigs off, then all of a sudden 
the fans online, et cetera, catch on to that and think that you're favoring one over the other and the others, you know, oh, we, you, you've benched Turner for the last three minutes. So you're definitely going to trade Turner this summer or vice versa. So the challenge with this is that because you've chosen to have these two guys in your starting lineup and because you've chosen to give them four-year extensions at high numbers – there's really no getting away from playing them both at the same time when it matters in a regular season game, is there? No, and you're completely right. That That's more of an organisational GM, Kevin Pritchard problem than it is coach because um, he can only play who he's got in front of him and you should be playing your starters at the end of the game and you can't really be benching Sabonis or Turner at the end because – like you said, Adam, what does that say to your fan base? It's saying, oh, you know, we, we don't feel like this player is good in winning time. Um, no matter who you're playing and, you know, matchup wise, you should be playing your starters. I don't know many teams who don't play their starting five in the last five minutes of the game. So, um, you know, we have been known to do it with Turner sitting down in the fourth quarter and, you know, maybe Doug McDermott playing the whole fourth. And, you know, although I do understand it offense wise and um, spacing wise, um, it doesn't sell a good, you know, picture to your fan base when it comes to the trade period, does it? Um, I will say on Nate, though, I know I put this on the table, but he has been the first person in all interviews to say he needs to get better. Um, he doesn't – he always puts the spotlight on himself, which I appreciate. He doesn't say, you know, the players had a poor game. He always says he needs to get better, um, which is good to hear. But, um, yeah, we, you know, we all heard – uh, Bjorka and you know this we weren't going to push as hard to get wins during the regular season we'd hopefully come at the end with our big push in the playoffs this year well you know it's still up for grabs but uh, yeah I can't see it happening yeah and it's an interesting point you make you know there's two schools of thought here I mean one school of thought is around I guess if you play your starters at the end, that's what you should do. That's who, who's getting paid. But to your point, Alex, do you play the guys that are going to get you a win on that given night? Mm. Like if, if it's not Miles and it's Doug, or if it's not Domas and it's someone else, do you play the players? Do you go with the hot hand on a nightly basis? What what's your what's your philosophy? Well, he, your he's thought? done that though. To be fair, he 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 has done that this season, and sometimes it has worked. I keep coming back to the Pelicans game in Indy early this season, where he almost played the bench unit the entire quarter. You know, so so credit to him. I think McMillan did that a little bit last season as well. If you remember, he would uh, ride the bench if they were playing really well. So, you know, I, I think it's a mixture of both, isn't it? Sometimes you just have to find a balance. Uh, you know, we kept TJ in. I thought he probably kept Aaron and Jeremy Lamb in for a bit too long in the fourth quarter today. But, you know, that, again, we're putting him under the microscope and being being petty here. But, you know, those are the, the things that can win and lose you a ball game. So, um, but, yeah, riding the hot hands, obviously, incredibly important. And I think he's done that pretty well this season, actually. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think, you know, we've kind of boxed ourselves in with the five starters being the five highest played, paid players on the team. And really emphasizing the need to play the two bigs. Um, Justin, before we go, final thought to yourself. Uh, is it better to have five clear starters or six or seven players where you can juggle the lineup a little bit based on matchup? Oh, it's a tough one. I'd, I'd probably say five clear starters, but then you've got that elite bench 
player who knows his role. Um, I look back to the old Pacer teams with Lance Stevenson. Um, you know, came in off the bench. He was a spike plug. TJ McConnell's been a bit like that, but yeah, I think you need five clear starters and an elite, you know, sixth, seventh man where they know their role um, coming off the bench. And we'll end it there. We've got, I think, the Spurs tomorrow, did you say, Justin? That's our next game, next cap off the rank. So it's going to be interesting to see. We've currently been beating the teams we should beat and losing to the teams above us. I think that's been kind of the hallmark of the last couple of weeks of Pacers basketball. We've been beating bad teams and losing to good ones, which isn't a bad spot to be in, but just reinforces, I guess, that no man's land that we find ourselves in right in the middle of the pack. Uh, But it will be interesting to see if we can break through and have a key victory over the next week. We've been the Paceroos. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you again next time.